Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this week, we've been thinking a lot about things that aren't great, but we kind of stick with them anyway. So Rob, this is something I've been thinking about a lot this week. Uh, I know this is something Austin wrote about where we work at Waypoint. Uh, he, he sort of stuck with Mass Effect Andromeda much longer than he expected to. He beat the game and sort of kept playing, and he was like, I don't really like this, but I keep playing it. It's something I've experienced this week with sort of two different things. One is going to be something I talk about a little in my weekend project, which is Caprica, and also uh, a game called Snake Pass uh, this week, which is a 3D platformer where you play as a snake and the controls are very weird. You're sort of constantly wrapping yourself around poles and other sort of uh, architecture to climb up things. There's no jumping. It's a 3D platform, but there's no jumping. Instead, you're sort of wrapping yourself around things to climb. And I I like the idea a lot, actually. I think it's interesting. I think they're doing something different with it. But the execution is not really there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sticking with it. I still want to keep playing this game, even though I streamed it and we were kind of making fun of it a little bit. Uh, and I, I was sort of like, no, there's there's something here, guys. Come on, there's something here. They're, they're doing something interesting with the 3D platformer, but it's, you know, you see your your dopey snake fall to his death so often that guess, something isn't right, you know? <laughs> I mean, is that is that a good thing for you? Because, like, this is something that sometimes uh, maybe keeps me up at night would be going a little <laughs> too far. Right. But at the same time, like, and, and believe me, like, I know all about sticking with things that, like, really are just not clicking with you uh, on yeah. some level. Like, it's kind of a, a cross-life uh, issue that, yep. uh, that I've had from time to time. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the, the something that really troubles me about a lot of this stuff is the opportunity cost, right? Like, yeah. you know, I did find something to enjoy in... Um, Oh man, like I, there, there are so many shows I've I've watched like this. Okay, so perfect example. Uh, one of my favorite TV, ne- TV networks in general is FX, and sure. a couple yeah. years ago they did a show called The Bridge. Okay. That was like really shooting for a no country for old men sort of like uh, stylishness and melancholy and mm. like what like uh, Western Gothic horror. Uh, sure. in, in some ways, yeah. in, a, in sort of a modern crime fashion, it was it was basically like checking a lot of boxes, right? On the on the st- on my personal like aesthetic and style chart, it, it should have been there, <laughs> but it wasn't good. And that was the thing. Like really early on, like by the second or third episode, it was clear, like, oh, this isn't going to deliver on all of that. There's, it's just, it's 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 not that great. But I stuck with it for for two seasons, uh, no <laughs> less, and. I can't say like I completely regret like having done that because it was never like actually like terrible, but after watching two seasons of that, I was like, oh man, I could have basically watched like literally, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, that was like yeah. twenty hours that could have been spent on any number of things that would have been better and would have been paid would have paid off better rather than me inventing reasons or or convincing myself that this sort of mediocrity was good enough to stick with. And I think that's even more true with games since the investment is so huge. Yeah. Yeah. God, I totally agree. And it's and it goes back to that thing where, you know, we we've talked a lot about this where it's like if a game enrages me, I start to get into this horrible oh, downward spiral of yeah. like I could be doing so much with my time right now. That's right. I could be learning Spanish. You know, I don't whatever. Like I could be doing 
a useful thing and instead I'm making myself angry. But for some completely bananas reason, that doesn't really seem to happen with this weird phenomenon where I'm like, no, maybe it gets good. It's like I'm just sticking around just in case, you know, like something is Mm. keeping its hooks in me, even though I know intellectually like, no, dude, like just move on. There really actually are better things to do with your time than, you know, watch this thing that's not really doing it for you or play this thing that's not really, really doing it for you. And oh my god. I, I don't think, know what that is. No, you know, I, think, I don't know. I think what that I do. Means. I think I think you've just crystallized something for me. Yeah. Okay. What's that? What's that? So there are things that are just like uninspired and mediocre and crap, and you can just sort of tell at a glance, like there's nothing here for you. And I think in general you and I both probably don't find ourselves engaged with stuff like that. Like we got a yeah. pretty good detector for stuff like that a mile off. Yeah. And so we you can you pull out of that really quickly. You don't ever have this dilemma with just the genuine garbage because immediately <laughs> you're like, Nope, and you nope right out of there. Yeah. But I think what you're describing and with this, like the, the circle is complete, and this is going to make a lot of sense to you, so I'm going to take, take you through it. Yeah, what you're describing it. is a Jay Cutler situation. Oh. And so Jay Cutler, and uh, this, is, this is something like, uh, you know, Patrick and I talk about at work from time to time. We're both Bears fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, Chicago Bears have frequently fielded decent football teams with one major problem in the NFL, which is that if you don't have a really good quarterback in the NFL, you tend not to have a great team. Yeah. The Bears got what we thought was going to be a great quarterback, Jay Cutler, and he wasn't. Like, objectively, he wasn't. Statistically, he wasn't. But the problem was you could always see the flashes of potential. There were oh, moments yes. when he was the greatest quarterback in the NFL for a half, for a quarter, for a game, and you thought, oh, so that's what the high could be. And if we could just get there more often, like if we could figure this stuff out, uh, if he could figure this stuff out, then we'll be sitting pretty. So we don't want to bail out on this yet. We don't want to bail out on this yet. We don't want to let Jay go. We want to stick with him because we know that underneath all the day-to-day mediocrity, there is the good Jay. Uh, and this is something like <laughs> in Chicago, like if you can talk, if you talk about good Jay or bad Jay, like everyone in Chicago knows what you're talking about, whether or not they watch the Bears. There's there's this idea that there were these two Jay Cutlers, yeah, and you wanted the one. Frequently, you got the you, you got the other, but maybe someday you would just arrive where good Jay was the only Jay. And I think with games, there's like if it's doing something kind of interesting, it's doing something that kind of like engages you or inspires you or makes you go like, huh, that's in, like that's cool. It is tough to walk away from stuff like that because you think, what if I leave just when it's about to get good? Uh, what if I yes. leave when it's about to sort of deliver on the things that it's sort of it's sort of hinting at? But what you don't realize until it's way too late is that holistic experience is the experience. It's yeah. not <laughs> there. It's not it's not a journey, but from one to the other. That's the whole phenomenon. There was no good Jay Cutler. There's no bad Jay Cutler. That whole like swinginess between you know when he was a garbage quarterback and when he was a great quarterback <laughs> that was part of the contradictions of the man's character yeah. and I think with with games it's the same way where you're like every time you have a good puzzle or a great level or, or a moment where those mechanics really like are finally used to their best potential you're like okay cool they're they're they're, they're getting there yeah but that's not the real game unveiling itself that's just a high on that's, that's just that's just a peak on a on a on a rather um 
flat line, you know? Yeah. The, oh God, you're t- you're totally, totally, totally getting it here, and it's and it's that desire and it's that attraction that I have to things that are imperfect but interesting. You know, the the sort of the seven out of ten. It's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I I can see a seven out of ten here. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's the that's the attraction here. Like, yeah. oh, maybe something really interesting and good is here. It's imperfect. You know, there's some crap around the edges or whatever, but, you know, maybe there's a trash can of clear in here. And sometimes that logic gets you a thing like uh, Farscape. Exactly. Exactly. I nearly bailed on Farscape four or five times when I was getting into it. Like The first season is is so uneven. Like, there's such shit. I mean, I think there's some shit in the second season, too. But, you know, just, like, it's so all over the place at first. And, like, yeah, those flashes of greatness are actually... You know, a sign of oh yeah, this the show gets its shit together and becomes amazing and weird and wonderful. But like, for every every one of those flashes of goodness, there's like an awkward puppet sex scene. You know, like it's like, yeah. there's <laughs> you know there's some shit there for sure uh, to kind of um, yeah. But I, I totally totally agree. Like it's definitely a case of oh I can see. What I really like, the weird and interesting and uneven stuff, could be, you know, this could be one of those. And instead, I, we're actually talking about something that, like, isn't that great, but it looks like it could be that that uneven but, but awesome kind of thing. Do you think also there's an aspect of... That logic makes sense when you're watching a TV show to some extent, because... Every episode of a TV show, and even more true of every season, is kind of like its own self-contained work. Yes. Um, they go through the creative process for each for each episode, and so as they do that again and again, there's a, there's actually a decent chance it doesn't happen as often as, as you'd like, but there's a decent chance that a show will start weaker and then wind up in a in a pretty strong place uh, as as they sort of get better at the formula. I'm not sure this is as, as true now as it used to be because I feel like now. Uh, since there's a lot more like short run dramatic series, yeah, uh, a lot of times what you're seeing in the first episode is very much tied up with what you're going to see in the last episode. You know, it's you, you don't have you don't have a Star Trek Next Generation thing happening where season one they're just like, all right, let's see if we can do Star Trek and in, in the '80s, let's yeah. let's see if let's see if we can breathe some life into this dead horse uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and 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 go ahead with that. Uh, where and then from from a pretty mediocre first season, then they start figuring out what that show is going to be, and it turns into a classic. I'm not sure that happens as often now with TV, but I'm definitely sure that applying that logic to games, and I do it too, but the logic is completely faulty because the yeah. game isn't constructed that way. The game was const- you know, what I mean, like the game as a yeah. whole, and so in general, like. There are games that are going to be like your your sort of slow burns where where they start to deliver. Ma- Mass Effect One being my sort of quintessential example. Totally. Uh, but at the at the same time, like a game isn't going to change all that much midway midway through because it's it's sort of it's it's designed around the systems and those like you know the design is sort of set and then and then things are like anchored onto it, but it's it's not like it's going to reinvent itself midway through because that's that's just not how games are made. Yeah, I mean, like I, 
I'm sure there's some example at some point in life where th something did sort of reinvent itself part of the way through or, or changed dramatically, but it's, it's so uncommon and so completely, you could never count on that, you know, like <laughs> I'm sure the, the, you know, the exception would prove the rule in that case. Oh God. It's so, it's so frustrating though, because it's like, you don't only just want something to be good, you want it to hit those very sort of specific switches in your brain. You want it to be that 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 interesting and weird thing that you don't care if it's rough around the edges. You you want that interesting thing. You want that cool, bizarre thing yeah. that's sort of special to you so badly that like if it if it even begins to look like it, you're like, "All right. All right, let's, you know, we can, we can do this. We you know, we just just give it another minute." It's a little rough. Maybe they came in under budget, you know, like <laughs> maybe three people worked on this and, and, and I can, I can accept those slight flaws, but it's, oh God, in the case of something like Caprica, uh, which I, I won't talk about too, too much. No, no. Talk, talk, talk to me about talk it. About, talk about, okay. I mean, I it's pretty understood. much a weekend project. Maybe I'll think of another weekend project. Okay. Like, All right. We'll get into it. No, no, no. It's project. cool. I get, I've been watching stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, or even, you know what's an even better example right now, potentially? What? The Young Pope. I am watching The Young Pope right now, mm. and I don't know why. I, I, like, I don't particularly like this show. I don't think it's great. It's basically a costume drama about the papal state, and what if a, a younger but really conservative pope was in charge? Like, it's like it's like a political drama about something that I couldn't fucking care less about, basically. Uh, and Jude Law is really interesting in the role, but he's like such a sniveling asshole that like I I don't I don't even know. Like I'm definitely putting it on and doing other stuff, but I'm still putting it on. I'm still watching this fucking thing, and like I I I'm having a hard time telling you why I'm still watching this thing. Like it's it's clearly interesting enough on some level. That I'm still watching it. Like, I, I what I wanted from the young pope, I wanted it to be bananas. I wanted this to be, hey, he's really Satan or something. You know, like, oh, oh, oh so you want a like full devil's advocate? Oh, yeah. Like where like midway through the like midway through the series run, <laughs> Jude Law's face peels off, and holy shit, it's Al Pacino. Yes. That is exactly what I wanted out of this show. And like the marketing materials around it totally hinted at like oh, there's something, something ain't right. You know, like something, something's going on here. Uh, it just completely, you know, with the, the like, the steamy looks at the camera and the sort of, you know, dramatic gestures. But like, really, it's like this kind of like, just just a drama. You know, mm. it's just a drama with papal robes and, and everybody's a priest and, you and all this You want something a little more lurid. Yeah, I I wanted Did, there look, to be blood at, orgies, at Rob. I wanted of, blood orgies in the in the yeah. Vatican, you know. Yeah. Ugh. But well, alas. But I'm still watching, and Caprica is a really interesting case for me because. I, I really loved Battlestar Galactica, as I think many of us did. Yes. I really hated that show's treatment of religion and sort of mysticism. I think that was the weakest part of the show by a country mile by a you know, let's let's not do country mile let's do something a little more appropriate by like a light year okay yeah. it, it was like shitty and kind of handholdy and very like 
oversimplifying, whereas nothing else in that show oversimplified. Like, life was complicated in that show. It had a really complicated view of what society is and what the sort of constructions of society were. And that was really great. But, like, when it came to religion, it was like, people believe shit, man, and it's mystical. Also, angels. Like, it was it just well, was so it, it stupid and changing. cheesy. It kept yeah. changing its definition of what was real and true, like, on the fly, right? Like, yeah. Like, within the fiction of a, of a show... I don't care if there's angels, but I need to know that the possibility that angels inhabit that space, right? right? Like, if you're going, like, there are times when the show wants us, is basically like, yeah, prophecy is real. Like, all this shit is true. And, you know, for all the rational universe these people think they inhabit, actually, there is a magical and, uh, like, uh, deistic. Uh, view view. Uh, there's a distinct rea- like reality happening that mm-hmm. they can't perceive. Okay, fine. Then make that the thing. Right. But Battlestar kept sort of whipsawing between what it wanted to do with that. Like yes. Gaius Baltar's whole turn as like a weird prophet oh. was actually. I think there were some great moments where it paid off. But I was never certain that the show knew whether or not he was a charlatan right. or religiously inspired. Yeah. Because like, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, it so didn't. They were so fucking clearly writing out of their assholes sometimes in this show. Like, I don't, and I don't know why that is. And it's interesting that it was that way. Like, I would love a book about what it was like to write that fucking show. Like, a tell-all would be fascinating to me. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, sorry, continue. I just got very excited. Well, well no, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I think... Battlestar would have been stronger if it had just been a little clearer throughout that, like, the characters didn't need to know it, but we, the audience, needed to know that the six that Baltar was seeing wasn't just a crazy delusion, but was, in fact, like, a real thing. Right. Um, It needed to tell us that... Well, basically, it needed to have it, it, the show needed to have an idea of what happened to Kara Thrace. Let's let's just yes. be re- real clear about that. And the show never did. It was basically like, wouldn't it be cool if we killed her? But yep. then we can't have a show without Starbuck. Yep. So <laughs> let's have some real dumb shit happen. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. so the thing is, Battlestar inspired a, a few spinoffs, and there was one I heard surprisingly interesting. One I heard was terrible. I can never. Is it Blood and Chrome that was the interesting one, potentially? Oh, sh- Isn't that the little side prequel thing starring Maybe. young James Adama? Uh, let me see. Battlestar um, Galactica, Blood and Chrome. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the plan. And... So Caprica was a... T- yeah, okay. This was on Machinima. Uh, but NBC made it. But that Sorry, Blood and Chrome is the thing that was... Uh, a TV movie, basically, a spinoff, um, which I think was much better received, potentially, than uh, Caprica. Caprica's the show itself, like the uh, the TV series that went for, like, 19 episodes. Although I'm seeing, like, 10 episodes here, actually, for Blood and Chrome. I never saw Blood and Chrome, so I don't, I don't know anything about it, really. I'm just looking at a Wikipedia page for it. Um, but, oh, God, Caprica. <sighs> So Caprica okay. is a prequel series 
set on the sort of main planet before the Cylon War. Um, and it follows, you know, several storylines. And some of them are actually somewhat interesting. And I think that's why I'm still watching it. Also, just my girlfriend's watching it. So it's yeah. on and I'm watching it. But but I'm interested in it. I'm very, very interested in it, even though I hate parts of it. Uh, and the parts of it that I hate, and that's why I brought up the sort of religious aspect of Battlestar Galactica, because it leans in so hard and so heavy to these to the religious aspects of this universe, which are... I don't think they're very well handled, just completely. It it just feels like sci-fi religion. Look, a sci-fi religion. I don't I don't know. It just feels very like people sure believe some stuff and they do, you know, what you might consider terroristic actions because they believe some stuff. And also, hey, maybe we can have uh, an AI heaven. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's just fucking... Ugh, I I just get so mad because it's like it feels like the writers here are just saying like we're going to build up some interesting characters and interesting scenarios we're going to do some stuff with some sci-fi you know concepts we're going to do stuff with AI we're going to do stuff with robots we're going to do stuff with like personhood you know I love all of that that's interesting to me they're actually doing some interesting things with gaming there's like a game in this world like a VR game the hyper realistic VR game where uh, Adama's father actually is is sort of trying to find uh, various things in this world. I won't go too far into it because it doesn't really matter. I, so there's there's like aspects of the show that are interesting and they're doing something for me. But then it feels like the writers just say, "But also religion," and that's it. Like it never goes a step further for me. Like it's always just like we believe in one God and uh, maybe we can have an AI heaven. And there's some political stuff around that. But it never actually goes into, like, what's interesting about that belief? And why do people believe the things that they believe? Like, what is so interesting and attractive about mystical religion? Like, what actually is the meat of that? Uh, And it frustrates me so much because it feels like a thing that sci-fi writers do sometimes, which is just invoking religion without ever exploring religion and what it actually means. Yeah, I wonder if... Maybe I think in part because like to really to successfully evoke religion, I think you actually need to really understand it and its history. Yeah. And how like not not the history of all religion, but you need to understand the history of some religion or religions. Right. Like a weird thing. Like I remember uh, one of my history professors talking. It, it was it was either medieval art history. Or it was just medieval history. I can't remember which. Yeah. But he was like, you cannot understand the middle ages if you approach it from the perspective that we approach politics now right you need you can't understand the middle ages without understanding that on some level to varying degrees everyone believed these things yeah that religion god hell paradise were not abstract concepts they were real animating ideas that people fully expected to encounter in their lives. And that colors every decision that is made. Yeah. And it, you know, and, 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 the, and his point wasn't that like, like people literally were running around believing that angels were going to materialize, like, you know, at the drop of a dime or that, you know, that they were going to run into Jesus on the, you right. know, on the, on, on the road to Shopping the for Land. groceries. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but nevertheless, these were concepts that like were a little, more concrete than they are to us now. 
And just as real as something like gravity, even if we don't understand that all every property of how gravity actually works, it's a reality of our universe that we encounter, basically. It's 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 in the it maybe it's in the background. Maybe gravity's not a good idea. But the ideas of physics. Like physics exist. It, yeah. They are a real thing. Even if I don't understand quantum mechanics on a super deep level, I, you know, intellectually know, so to speak, that that's a that's a thing that's working. That's a thing that is making driving the universe and making sense of the universe. Yeah, and 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 and, and if you're talking about that kind of world, and, and that world sort of sets up things like the Reformation, uh, you know, the Thirty Years' War. Religion isn't Coke or Pepsi. Right. It isn't. Oh, we have the same concept of God, but we use different words for it. Isn't that crazy? Because I feel like that's where a lot of times sci-fi leaves off. Yeah, is like. There's just either, it's either there's a religion. It's a very it's a it's a fictional religion. It's a very thin and poorly thought out analog of, an, of a human religion, uh, or it's a story of religious strife based around the concept that, uh, oh wow, it's basically they're two um, Abrahamic religions, and it's pretty wild how there can be so similar similar so much so many similarities, and people fight over them, but it's. It's like that's a really thin understanding of how these religions evolve and change. And if you're going to introduce like true religious belief in a, in a fictional universe, you need to actually have a thought about what people truly believe yes. and why, like, and how that belief manifests itself. And it sometimes feels like a lot of sci-fi writers' rooms maybe don't have someone who understands that. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's it's really it's a huge failing in my mind uh, for this show. And it was the biggest fucking failing of Battlestar Galactica ultimately for me, that this hand waviness in the face of, you know, invoking religion as like, this is how we're deep. We're deep, man, religion. And that's well, all. He just said that and like acted as if that was enough. And that's how you ended your otherwise, I think, really well-written and well-produced series about life, when much of humanity has gone away and constructs of, of what it is to live in the civil society and other ideas about identity and, and being and, you know, being on the extremes. Like, there was a lot of good stuff in that show, I thought. And then it yep. just did a giant poop on it by saying, religion, man, it's deep. <laughs> like it's just Except maybe it's not. Maybe it's all a con game. We yeah. haven't made up our minds. We haven't figured it out, really, but religion. Yeah. It's deep. I So in, in Caprica, <laughs> is the religion coming from both sides, or is it sticking with that the AIs believe, the, 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 the Cylons are their precursors, believe that there's a greater force out there, and, and humanity largely has transitioned to a thing where religion is uh, abstracted and, and probably, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They become very humanist. It's more that it follows a sort of terror cell of monotheists who believe in one god. And this is a world where typically most people believe in sort of the 12 Olympic gods or, or yeah. just whatever number of Olympic gods. Um, and uh, this is, you know, supposedly trying to give something like a balanced presentation of, of what these monotheists believe. And their their sort of big trump card is, oh... Advanced AI that's kind of happening in another storyline with another character, uh, incredibly advanced AI of sort of this teenage girl, which of course becomes the precursor to Cylons because she's actually becoming sort of actualized. 
Uh, she she dies in this terrorist attack, and her AI is actually so good and so advanced and so close to her that it's almost like, oh, this is almost like an afterlife in some ways. That's how this religious person interprets it. I'm oversimplifying, obviously, but this is mm. kind of what's going on in this show. And it just, everything about the religion falls so fucking flat to me and is just sort of laughable to me uh, in, in how shallow it feels. Like, there's a main character who's sort of a nun uh, who, you know, she's the driving force behind, oh, heaven can be real if we use AI. You know, and it's just, okay, I get that that would be a... a, a a machine-assisted heaven. Basically. Like, I get that that's interesting. an interesting idea. That is an interesting idea. It just feels like everything with religion in this show and, and the previous show just feels so shallow. Uh, and, and, like, I'm not a religious person at all, but I, I went to Catholic school my entire life before college. Like, I understand the weight that religion has for people. I understand that the value of, of having a really, really uh, core belief system that is present in your life every day and a, and a belief in, in a benevolent God that, that honestly guides you throughout your entire life. Like, I, I appreciate that that has so, so much value for people. So when a show kind of feels like it's just saying that without ever showing it, you know, it, it, it sucks and it, and it feels really, really shallow and really kind of crappy. And, and it feels like a, a cop out in certain ways. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still watching it. I'm sh I'll watch yeah. the whole damn thing. <laughs> uh, but it's ugh, God. Just religion is really hard to do right. And it's funny to me that, that both of the things I'm talking about right now, the young Pope and, <laughs> you know, the young Pope does not dismiss religion. It's, it's, I don't think it's the greatest show, or it's it's not a bad show. I don't think it's actually of low quality by any means. It's just not what I wanted from it, uh, which is okay. Like it's it's well written, it's well produced, the acting is 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 decent. It's not like oh this sucks. Like I I think Caprica sucks in certain in certain ways. Like for being shallow in this way, it's more the young Pope. I I just wanted from the marketing. I wanted there to be blood orgies and Al Pacino and you know summoning elder gods. Maybe that'd be fine. You know we could we could hang with that but um, instead it's just a court drama yeah it's just it's just a drama it's just a drama that happens to be set in the vatican basically uh but religion uh, is interesting it is fascinating it is it is incredibly incredibly core to so many people's lives and has shaped history in such major ways that there there are fascinating ways to look at history and i think caprica it falls completely on its face uh and the show would have been better uh, if it leaned into the things that actually worked in the Battlestar universe, which are those sort of ideas about humanity and AI and robots and and the terrible things that we do when we don't think someone's a real person, basically. Do you think the show is suffering from the fact that it has to fit into some sort of Battlestar canon? Oh, for like, sure. It sort of sounds like there's an interesting sci-fi show that ha like is just being tied to an existing universe, but like maybe secretly doesn't want to be absolutely yes like the fact that oh the first the first cylon really came from this this you know this teenage girl whose father was a fucking asshole who's the scientist who kind of patented the technology but she was actually smarter and so she's rebelling against her dad a little bit and i'm sure everybody was like wow what a great theme because that's really something they talked about a lot in Battlestar galactica fighting your parents and coming out from under your parents and blah 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 what a great theme is thematically relevant but it feels like fucking cheap cheesy shit you know in in yeah. its execution so yes 
Totally. I, I think that suffers for it. And I do think there's a really interesting show here. It just leaned so hard into the stuff that was not working, or at least not working for me, not working in my opinion. Oh, Caprica. What are we going to do with you? <laughs> Apparently keep watching it. Apparently keep watching the fucking thing so I can complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the real, the real answer. Um... So yeah, I, I, unless you have you have no. more for this, I guess we can we can pivot. We can go right into uh, better written letters than Capricorn, <laughs> uh, and go right into our weekend correspondence. All right, so we have an anonymous letter uh, to start off, and uh, this person writes: Well, I enjoyed both Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy X a lot. I think possibly the finest JRPG meditation on themes like death, loss, friendship, and parenthood would be the incredible game Nier, released last generation on 360 and PS3 in Japan. Set in a beautiful, melancholy post-apocalypse and following a father trying to cure his daughter's fatal illness while she yearns for him to just be with her instead of adventuring, has an incredible soundtrack, a layered, tragic story, make sure to get all the endings, and, well, okay gameplay, complete with side quests that are basically trolling the completionist instinct. Came as no surprise to me that the recently released Automata Automata, God, I keep doing it. It's Automata, is garnering rave reviews as it combines the original's direction with Platinum's talent for deep, satisfying combat engines. So, uh, Rob, I don't, if you have you dipped a toe into Automata at, at any point yet? No, I, I haven't. Okay. Uh, but it's definitely like very high on the on the agenda, having read so many really great things about it. Yeah, it's it's something special. I, I won't go on and on about it because I have not. Uh, played that much of it. I've only played the sort of first general section. And then Amanda, friend of the show, Amanda Cosmos, uh, sort of showed me, she gave me like a tour of other areas in the game and sort of showed off some of the other things the game is doing. And I, I do think it's very special and very beautiful. It's something we've covered uh, quite a bit on Waypoint Radio, so I don't want to go too far into it. But this is a good letter for, for really saying like, hey, this is what Yoko Taro games do really, really well, is actually... Uh, in fantastical settings and in like interesting sci-fi or fantasy settings really actually get to the weight of, of drama and what it's like to kind of um, look at things like, again, death and loss and friendship and parenthood and do them to a really kind of wonderful degree uh, without kind of treading the same territory. And I think that's definitely worth saying and worth uh, looking into and, Automata is really good. I just wish I wasn't so obsessed with Zelda right now and I could <laughs> spend some real time with Automata. Well, I think speaking Automata, of that whatever. completionist instinct, I think the thing that is um, <laughs> the discussion around uh, Automata is, is really sort of driven home is that these near games have always been pretty good. Yeah. Like that it's an interesting series and... I don't know why it ended up getting kind of overlooked, but it feels like it didn't really catch on. Like it had a small like cult like following, but it hadn't really broken through. I think it was released at a time. So we're talking about 2010 here when having an amazing story and amazing characters and eh, gameplay was not as appreciated as it is now. I, I think now, uh, you know, maybe the wider audience still will kind of give pushback, but I think critics now, I, or maybe this is, just my bias and my age showing, but I am certainly very interested in games that, 
you know, if the gameplay is fine, is fine, you know, serviceable or whatever, but the story itself and the characters and what it's saying about the world are fascinating and great. I'm very happy to kind of engage with that. And I, I have a feeling that there are plenty of people like me, uh, but at the time, you know, almost 10 years ago, that feels like it was more of a rare thing. And that's just my theory. I, I do not, you know, I'm not a near scholar, but that would be my guess. Yeah, it. I do think there's more interest and, and patience for things that are going to pay off uh, on a narrative level uh, than, than maybe there was when when Nier came out sort of last generation. But now having heard like about this universe that um, you know Yokotaro's constructed, I kind of want to know all about that universe. And yeah. uh, it, it well, it's also tough to say. Like it, it sort of sounds like. To a degree, you don't need to know more than Automata because it's it's set up as is yeah. in a unique place with regard to a lot of the things that have happened in this universe universe's timeline. Uh, yeah. So it can kind of stand apart. But I'm just I'm just kind of curious now, uh, and that's a dangerous place to get because I, I think if if I'll, I will totally regret it if I end up in a place where I'm like, oh, I can't possibly start Automata until I have gone back and played, <laughs> you know, near. Uh, that'd be a terrible decision. Yeah, it it would be rough. <laughs> All right, our next email comes from Alex. Uh, Dear Idle Weekend, I'm an artist and American living abroad. Uh, six more years now in Switzerland and deeply miss the conversation back home. Although English is widely used here, it's generally not on a deep level, and the culture here is distant, formal, and not prone to generating tough, insightful, uh, philosophical conversations among strangers. <laughs> I'm not sure if either of you have lived abroad, but when you're immersed for long periods amongst languages not your own, your way of thinking changes, and it often becomes difficult to access thoughts or feelings you've experienced in the past. Hmm. One's personality and critical mind simply shift into a new form, a, a new person with different and, and often shallower depths, a, a silent observer. As I sit here in uh, my Swiss painting studio as spring approaches, spending time working through old pieces... Listening to reflections on, Zel on Zelda, on America, and on Napoleon, <laughs> I'm reminded to be grateful and reflective. My question, then, is what game has moved you personally to create works of art of your own? Uh, in my current work, uh, and you may not be able to tell, but the Dark Souls series is one I find extraordinarily inspiring. The silence, the music, the texture, movement, the, the art design, the patience. It's extraordinary, and I often spend hours painting after dipping into Dark Souls for a while. I, uh, I've been inspired by a lot of tiny, smaller games because that's the only thing I'm capable <laughs> of making with my, my sort of very, very, very amateur level, uh, game design skills. But there have been several games in the last few years and several sort of works that have inspired me to at least make something, you know, at least if it, even if it's tiny, tiny. Um, so there was actually a scene in a book I was reading. We talked about it on Idol Weekend, actually, 2312. Uh, that just really, really inspired me to make a tiny game set in, in something that looked like that scene. It was a, a very dramatic setting where two characters are, uh, they, they're exposed to radiation on Mercury. There's a big accident. They're exposed to radiation. And they have to be in this tunnel uh, sort of underground uh, to the next sort of safe point. And they sort of struggle with uh, trying to get there. You know, it's sort of like a very, very contained story uh, but a grueling sort of endurance run uh, that they have to go through and they have to kind of 
uh, lean on each other and rely on each other to kind of, you know, uh, make it basically or try to make it. And I and I am working on a little tiny game right now that's sort of a narrative uh, little it's, it's sort of like a, a platformer with narrative uh, kind of going on. Uh, and you make dramatic choices. And of course, because I'm me, it's you're also a paramedic and you have to decide who to treat uh, <laughs> and like how to how to sort of uh, medically advance through this thing. But like that's that's a pretty good example of like, oh, I'm very directly inspired by this thing. I want to make a thing that explores that idea. Um, playing as much Animal Crossing as I played uh, like a year and a half ago inspired me to start sort of prototyping a little tiny cyberpunk Animal Crossing sort of a little game, which is uh, not anywhere near uh, a state that I could even show anything for at this point. But it's it's fun. Like, I, I really, really enjoy it. This letter made me think of how much I really enjoy that feeling of inspiration, that feeling of like, oh, I could maybe make something a, a little, you know, a little tiny thing that reminds me of this or that was kind of inspired by this. Um, it's It's fun and it's like a very... It's just a very fulfilling thing for me to to make something creative, even if it's a total piece of trash. I don't even I don't even care. It's just fun to be involved in that process for me. Yeah, I think um, so. Works of art, like I don't usually uh, work in like that sort of creativity. Um, sure, sure. Like I, I used to, you know, dabble with fiction when I was younger, and uh, games that loomed pretty large there were. Um, the Last Express uh, mm. certainly was uh, was was one of them. Um, so did a lot of a, a lot of adventure games, but but The Last Express was definitely the one that uh you know I can definitely like, there are definitely works that I can point to that I sort of dabbled with that were very clearly an attempt to sort of either continue that story, um, in terms of like you know setting in time period, maybe advancing it beyond World War Two. Uh, World War One, uh, but also there there were things that I did that were very consciously trying to echo sort of um, the opening setup for that for that game. Yeah. So I think that was that's an example. Uh, I I think in terms of stuff that's maybe inspired some of my like work I'm uh, that was more personal that I was prouder of. Uh, the Darkness series mm, ended yeah. up being ended up being one. Uh, I think that game had such an unusual emotional texture uh for for a shooter uh, particularly <laughs> uh the darkness one that it definitely sort of made a mark and uh you know sort of changed the way I was approaching a, a lot of my work um around that series or related games uh for a little while so i think that's that's definitely like so the you know there've absolutely been games that have sort of like changed my outlook for a little bit and uh Parts of those games have made their way into other writing. Yeah. That's always a special thing when it feels like you can, I don't know, make a little personal stamp on something like that. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's a, you know, gets right at those creative urges that are at the core of the human experience of wanting to kind of like make your mark on the universe a tiny bit. <laughs> or at least I like to think that way. It's my cave painting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, our, our next email, our, I think our last email for today, uh, comes from Sean Z, who says, I'm currently in the middle of DMing a tabletop game with some friends and tend to devote a lot of prep work to creating new characters. I find that I'm often able to derive ideas from pieces of music, especially those used as character themes in video games. 
Games like Undertale, Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy, and Zelda also make use of leaf moti uh, leet motifs, rather, musical themes tied to specific characters, used in multiple songs to express their connection to an event. They're effective as a way to evoke heightened emotional impact and also as a way to foreshadow or hint to a subtle connection. Without any spoilers, the default final boss theme of Undertale contains the leitmotif of an unexpected character, foreshadowing the revelation of their true identity in the pacifist ending. Themes are a fantastic way to define and further personify characters. Do you have any favorite character or boss themes from games that you've played? If not, do you have any favorite video game soundtracks? Keep casting those pods. Sean Z. I'll, I'll let you go first, Rob, because I have a lot of uh, a lot of video game soundtrack uh, <laughs> favorites. Yeah. Um, so I think since I was just talking about it, uh, there's one character in particular in The Last Express that has her own theme, uh, Tatiana, hmm. uh, who's sort of this fairly naive young Russian aristocratic girl. And there's a point midway through the game where some real bad shit goes down. And Tatiana, in true uh, Shakespearean tragic heroine uh, tra uh, tradition, completely loses her shit in the wake of, uh, of everything going on. <laughs> and so what you... What you encounter when you go into one of her spaces later in the game that's associated with her is that her theme comes up, but it's changed and become this sort of broken and sad version of itself. Mm, yeah. And it was a really effective way of sort of drawing out what's happened to this character and sort of like you're you're listening to this theme and you can like it's this interesting like piece of music that almost feels like a memory of a different piece of music. Sure. Uh, it's very, very cool. Um, and then, you know, I mean, an obvious one, uh, I think, I think Terra's theme in Final Fantasy VI is fantastic. Um, yeah. All right. I, um, <clears throat> I really love the soundtrack to Anodyne, which is a small indie sort of Zelda-like game that I yeah I, I wrote about it this week yes so it's fresh in my mind but I think it's it's probably my favorite video game soundtrack ever I think it's beautiful and simple and it sort of evokes this surreal and wonderful and weird and kind of fucked up universe that it that the game exists in um and it's it's just oh god it's so good it's something I actually listen to all the time I, I'll put it on I love the Fez soundtrack so much uh again because it evokes this surreal impossible beautiful interesting weird fucked up world and yeah those are keywords for me i guess <laughs> and how much i enjoy something uh i really love uh the music from you know a lot of sort of very very classic uh zelda games i, I love the soundtrack from ocarina of time and majora's mask uh the ganon theme if you want a specific character i know it's probably like the cheesiest and easiest thing to go with but the way it is evoked in Breath of the Wild in sort of the dungeons or the, the sort of proper dungeons is awesome and rad and I, I get excited about it. And it's been used in so many different games over the course of the series that it's it's a little bit special every time it kind of comes up. Uh, even though I know that's like the the answer, the generic easy answer, it's still, it, I you know, still thought of it and still 
uh, kind of get excited when it goes on. And of course, this cannot be, uh, <laughs> you can't overlook the Donkey Kong Country soundtracks. <laughs> Those soundtracks were incredible and amazing, and that's something that they brought mm -hmm. into the newer games. They are so beautiful and so much fun, and goddamn, they, that's some good-ass music. I put it on all the time as sort of writing music, uh, you know, and I smile and have fond and happy memories of, of carefree platforming. And so, yes, those are those are my answers. <laughs> um, so I think in that case, it's time for us to go into our weekend projects. I know I've been blabbing about things I've been watching lately. So, Rob, do you want do you want to start off? Do you want to tell us about uh, something you've been reading or watching or listening to? Uh, yeah, so I think my weekend project, uh, I just, just, uh, the other weekend I went to, as part of my trying to do all the cool LA, LA things before I leave, yeah. uh, I went to, I went to the Broad, uh, which is a modern art museum in, in Los Angeles and, uh, it's an incredible space to see, to, to see art. It's a, it's a gorgeous building. Um, it's, it's got some of the best light. Uh, like it's it's a very it's a very strange place. the the light The light in the Broad is just incredible. It's uh, largely natural light uh, that is completely indirect. Like yeah. there's tons of the, the the ceiling is kind of honey honeycombed so that sunlight is getting down into the galleries without ever being direct sunlight. Uh, so it's yeah. this beautifully airy and perfectly lit space. Uh, and there are a lot of of cool works of art there, uh, but the the exhibit the the part the the gallery that that got to me the most was um this this one room filled with works by Mark Taney, mm -hmm. uh, who sort of approaches his subjects in an impressionistic style, but they're quietly surreal paintings. Uh, so it's it's like impression it's like impressionist surrealism. Oh, that's uh, is, so my jam. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and they're all like they're they're very evocative and like intense uh, works of art. Like usually each work has a dominant color and like looked at from a distance it almost seems like it's just one color oh, uh and and so like they're they, 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 it can all be a little exhausting uh to look at but they're also really rewarding to look at because like a lot of times the images read as sort of unremarkable at first glance and then become more interesting and then increasingly unsettling uh as you stare at them and uh the that. two uh the probably the uh the two pieces that stuck with me the most uh were this one piece uh called i think the four forbidden senses oh and they're a, it's it's a quartet of just people doing mundane things but something about it is uh is just kind of uh, again unsettling. Um, hmm. There is a woman watering a tree, and and all the and all in this quartet of paintings, they're all like 
period pieces. They all look like it's it's the fifties. Sure. Uh, and so there's you know a a woman watering a tree and eating an apple, and that's and that's taste obviously. But the the strange thing about it is it's all like harshly lit from below. Hmm. Um, it's almost like when you catch things in your high beams uh, in yeah. the car, and so like you just stare at it, and it has this like. The one's kind of oblivious to it, but you stare at it, and something about it seems like menacing or slightly garish, uh, and it's it's hard to put your finger on why. Uh, there's another where a guy is trying to get at something through a sewer grate, and you realize there's no way his arm could ever have gotten that far into the sewer grate, and there's certainly no way it could ever come out. Hmm. Uh, and it's it's sort of this this uh, like. Uh, slightly spooky, like almost tantalous, and tantalous in a in a fedora, fedora yeah. <laughs> type type oh, approach God. to it. Yeah. Uh, but the painting that really like stuck with me was uh, this one, all done in this like deep electric blue. Uh, was a painting called The Wake, which um, features a group of people at a party, but they're like all desperately drinking like mm-hmm. everyone is just like packing down the cocktails um and it's it's sort of like you know party at the end, at the end of the world yeah. and then they're separate and then they're on the edge of this huge expanse of water and out across the water rowing across uh where the moonlight is striking it uh there's another group of people on like a uh, a paddle boat uh, or no, sorry, a flat-bottomed uh, like ferry boat, almost mm. uh, sort of being borne off into the darkness. Wow! And it is again. There's there's a lot of things happening in that painting, uh, but it's one of those things that I couldn't stop staring at. And the more I stared at, the more things I was sort of picking out of the painting and like unpacking in terms of its its themes and what it was driving at. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a very cool room to spend some time. Uh, it's definitely something that in the week or so since I've seen these paintings, uh, I am continuing to sort of mull them over. Uh, so if you're in the LA area, uh, the Broad, uh, check out, check out the, uh, the gallery, the gallery of Taney paintings. I'm writing this down. Not that I'm obviously going to be there anytime soon, but I need to know more about this artist. That is very much my jam. Uh, surrealism is, is sort of my, my thing. Love it. So, um, my thing, I, we talked about Capco, we talked about the young Pope. Uh, I wanted to pick another one, and I actually, uh, this was really cool. I went to MoCA last weekend, uh, which is a sort of independent artist, comic artist uh, show, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's, there's programming around it. I only kind of went to the sort of, uh, you know, basically the little exhibition hall uh, where artists are set up. And they're selling their wares. They're selling prints. They're selling comics. They're selling, you know, art, uh, maybe postcards or, or, you know, pins and buttons and things like that. And I went in the last hour of the show and just bought a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, anything that looked interesting to me, I was like, yep, I want it. Uh, and so came home with a whole bunch of comics uh, and prints. And uh, a comic that I bought that I really, really enjoyed, uh, I thought was quite good, is called Ashes. And this is by, uh, the author is Mario Candelaria and the illustrator is Carl Slominski. Uh, so this was a kickstart, apparently this is a kickstarted actually comic and it is about a firefighter, a Brooklyn firefighter, uh, who 
gets horribly injured on the job and how he kind of deals with life, uh, you know, after that happens. It's very, very much, um, the style is incredibly like rough hewn and very sort of down to earth and maybe, maybe a touch impressionistic, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, What's it called again? uh, Ashes, a firefighter's tale. It's, uh, I think it's really good. Uh, so the writing itself is like, a, a, you know, it's a very broad strokes story, right? This is a story of a guy. He's a firefighter. He's some guy, you know, he's a good firefighter. <laughs> you know, he's like, it's so Brooklyn. That's what I love about this the most. Is it is so specific to the NYFD. It's so Brooklyn. It's so many firefighters that I personally like know and work with whenever I'm on my ambulance. Like the, this guy is a bro, you know, he cares about his job. He cares about his family. You know, he lives, he grew up in Brooklyn. His family's in Brooklyn. He has a son, you know, that he calls champ because of course he does. And, you know, he has his best friend is Lopez, a Latino dude who also lives like in the neighborhood. His mom's cooking is amazing. You know, it's a very like, this is Brooklyn. This is old Brooklyn. It's great. Uh, there, there's such a, a character and a sort of depth and a, and a, and a, just sort of like a, a rough around the edges, but very lovable quality uh, to mm-hmm. it. So, you know, he's on a job. This is early on. And, and you know, he's he's Mr. Mr. Hero firefighter. And he gets horribly, horribly hurt and, and kind of has to deal with it. It's, it's really, really well done. I mean, again, br- the story is very broad strokes. It's very much a story you've seen before. It's uh, how do you deal with a bad thing and, you know, be a hero in your own life kind of thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've read it, you've seen it a hundred times, but it's done well, and it's done from a very, very specific point of view that I have come to know and love uh, living here in in Brooklyn. You know, I don't live yeah. in old Brooklyn. I don't live in the Brooklyn in the '90s for sure, or the '80s. Uh, I live in Brooklyn in 2017, which is a different universe. But there's still a lot of touches of this that still certainly exist, especially in Bushwick and. Uh, you know, like th- when I go on calls to old ass fucking buildings that are falling apart, uh, and there are firefighters, you know, lifting people and bringing them out. This is what it looks like and what it feels like for sure. Uh, so really, really enjoy that. It, it's, uh, it's on Amazon actually. It's, you know, I, I got this at this tiny indie, uh, you know, sort of illustrator show, but you can totally buy a yeah. copy of it, uh, for sure on Amazon. So it's called Ashes, A Firefighter's Tale by Mario Candelaria and Carl Slominski. And that will that will be my project, I think. That will that will do. I talked enough about <laughs> religion and sci-fi, I guess, earlier in All the right. show. <laughs> uh, so I think with that, it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. And in this case, uh, get ready for another weekend because, uh, you know, we're late sometimes. Uh, this episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. So you can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net. Send us your questions for weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. Can't stress that enough. Send us your questions. We'd love your questions. Send them. Questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend. I've been forgetting to update that Twitter. Yeah. Can't promise a good time. But can't promise, but you can, you can check it out. I'll try to do better. You know, you're doing good. You're doing good. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're a firefighter. Maybe you get hurt on the job. You know, you got to do whatever you got to do. It's going to be fine. You're going to be all right. All right? Eat some lasagna. (laughs) 
tell we would really appreciate it. I'll just do the whole goddamn thing like this. We really appreciate well, no. it if you tell your friends, tell your family, tell your firefighters, tell your cops, tell your EMTs, tell whatever the hell, whoever it is that you hang out with, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth and uh, reviews on iTunes mean the universe to us, and we really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, stressing it again, questions at idleweekend.net. We love your questions. You send us good questions. We like them. We read them. We answer them. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. Mm-hmm.